Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It's great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And we have many interesting things to talk about and I'm so excited to share them with you this afternoon. It's so interesting to mention that the phases of the Jewish calendar and the different energies that present themselves um, as are reflected by the different time periods during the year have been very much a part of the story here in South Africa these last couple of months. So, for example, we had the terrible week of rioting and of looting, and that was in the nine days. The nine days are a very gloomy time, are a time of a, a dangerous spiritual energy. And with Tisha B'Av, that ends and things shift for the positive. And we felt that shift very much in South Africa. It's really wonderful to be out of lockdown um, level four, and now we're on level three. And we see the numbers are dropping dramatically, Baruch Hashem, thank God, uh, both in the Jewish community and in the broader South African community. And so may that continue. And so as Tisha B'Av ends and the gloom is lifted and we then um, have the rest of the days of what this month is in the Hebrew calendar, Menachem Av, the, the month of Menachem Av means the comfort of Av, that we don't only really emphasize the suffering but rather the comfort of the suffering. And we now, um, interestingly, read seven, um, the build up to Tisha B'Av, we read three Haftorahs on Shabbos. Unfortunately, the shuls were closed, so we weren't able to read those Haftorahs. But those are the three Haftorahs of what's called Tlath uh, de Puranusa, the three Haftorahs of Puranios. Puranios is suffering and affliction. And now we read the Sheva de Nechemta, the seven Haftorahs of comfort. And those, these seven weeks after Tisha B'Av, where we read these Haftorahs of Comfort, lead us into Rosh Hashanah. So we've read one of them, and now the shuls are open, so we are all so thrilled that we can come together again in a minion, and we can dive in as a community. And so f- from this week, we'll then be reading the, the next of um, these Haftorahs of Comfort, and the, it will continue for another six weeks all the way until we get to Rosh Hashanah. So I think we all feel that sense of comfort and that sense of relief, and we have turned the corner, and please God, we should only experience good health and safety and law-abiding citizens in a prosperous and peaceful South Africa. I wanted to share with you, so since we're in this time of Av, and we are the 19th of Av today, um, I want to share with you some significant dates, the significant yacht sites that we have been through and are going through at this time. The first one I want to discuss is the um, your site of Sir Moses Montefiore. Sir Moses Montefiore was born in 1784. He died in the year 1885. Um, and his yacht site is on the 13th of Av. So it was six days ago, the yacht site of Sir Moses. And uh, he was such a legendary figure. You know, we, we have the opportunity on the show to discuss great people within the the Kalyus or within the Jewish um, story, 
And so Moses played a big part in the story of the Jewish people in the 19th century. Uh, he was a leading stockbroker. He was even as, at a time the sheriff of London. He was knighted by Queen Victoria. Uh, so Moses Montefiore married into the Rothschild family. His wife was a, was a Rothschild. And uh, he made his fortune together with the Rothschilds. He, a very interesting fact of history is the patriarch of the Rothschild family. I think it's Mayor Amschel Rothschild. So he first made his fortune in the Napole- Napoleonic Wars, um, the, the famous war between Napoleon and Wellington in 1815. And the Rothschilds were bankers. They were merchant bankers. And they actually funded both sides because they had banks all over Europe. Um, and they had their own intelligence system. And on the day of the Battle of Waterloo, so um, Mr. Rothschild went to the London Stock Exchange. And he had received information that Wellington was being victorious. Wellington was overpowering Napoleon. And um, he knew this, but nobody else knew this. So what he did is he started selling shares. And people knew that Rothschild had information that nobody else had. And therefore, they thought that Wellington was going to lose. And everybody started selling. And there was a big drop in the market. And once it reached a certain point, he then started buying back. And he bought back as much as he could with what he had sold. And he obviously bought back a hell of a lot more. And then the news started trickling in that Wellington was victorious and had defeated Napoleon. And then the prices went up uh, dramatically um, with that news. And so... That was the um, the making of the fortune of the Rothschilds. They became the, the largest bankers in Europe, and they had the different members of the family in different cities throughout Europe, um, and uh, they were very famous for their philanthropy and uh, supported the Jewish people. And so Sir Moses Montefiore made his money with the Rothschilds. Most probably um, at that, that event was also significant for him. And he probably made a lot of money there, but he, he was able to retire at the age of 40. And at the age of 40, he then um, dedicated himself to the Jewish people and to the humanitarian causes of the Jewish people. He traveled to Turkey. He met with the Sultan in 1840 to defend the Jews of, of Damascus against the blood level. Um, he traveled to Rome in 1858 to try and free the Jewish youth, Edgar Mortara, who was kidnapped and baptized by his Catholic church. He traveled to Russia, to Morocco, and to other places where he tried to defend the Jewish people and try and, li- and try to lift the persecution against the Jewish people. But his love was for the Holy Land, and he was the person responsible for the first inhabitants outside of the old walls of, walls of Jerusalem. When he visited Jerusalem, he saw that people, there was overcrowding and there was squalor within the old city and people were frightened to move out of the walls because it was dangerous. And so he built the first Jewish community outside of the walls and was responsible for the building of the modern city of Jerusalem. And uh, it's famous today because the big windmill is over there, the uh, that the, the famous it's, it's the neighborhood is called Yamin Moshe, which means the right hand of Moshe, and he built a windmill. The windmill actually never worked; it was never successful. But it is a landmark and still remains there today, and reminds the Jewish people of the tremendous efforts of Sir Moses Montefiore 
for the Jewish world in general and the Jewish people in Israel in particular. Um, he, his works were tireless in terms of uh, promoting industry, education, health. He sponsored several agricultural settlements, and he really was a great legend within the Jewish people and will always be remembered as a great servant of Hashem. He was a very frum man and a servant of the Jewish people. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. The other Yotzite I wanted to mention is that of Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik. Today is the 19th of Av, and on Friday is the 21st of Av, and it is the 103rd Yotzite of Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik. He was born in 1853 in Lithuania and died in 1918, and he was an absolute genius in the Talmud, and he developed a unique approach to studying Talmud, to learning Talmud. Um, today we call it the Briska approach because his father was the Beis HaLevi, um, who was the rabbi in Brisk in Lithuania, and uh, he's uh, so he, the, this derech, this approach to studying Talmud is called the Briska derech because he th- this is part of the Briska dynasty, and it is a very analytical uh, methodology with an emphasis on the writings of the Rambam and understanding how the Rambam learned the Talmud and developing um, theories and analysis in the approach of the Rambam and the understanding of the, the depth of the Talmud that is being uh, discussed. Rabbi Soloveitchik, Rabbi Rabbi Chaim, was um, at the young age of 27 appointed one of the teachers at the Velozhin Yeshiva. So we have discussed the Velozhin Yeshiva many times. The Velozhin Yeshiva was started in 1803 by Rav Chaim of Velozhin um, with the direction and guidance of his Rebbe the Volnagoyen. And for close to a 100 years, the Velozhin Yeshiva became the center of Jewish learning in the world and developed um, outstanding leaders who would be the protagonists of the Jewish people um, for decades to come. And it took a, a while for the Russian government to catch on. The Russian government wanted to stamp out Judaism, wanted to either um, – persecute or convert or expel the Jews of Russia. That was the um, goal of the Tsar, and he implemented a a number of policies in order to carry out um, this goal. And uh, Velozhin was uh, functioning all this time, and it took them a while to catch on and realize that this is really the heart and engine room of the Jewish people. As long as Velozhin survives, so it's going to produce leaders that will teach and inspire and lead Jews to um, be proud and and holy Jews. And it was obviously against what the Russians wanted. So um, they they closed down the yeshiva in the year 1894, if I'm not mistaken. Reb Chaim became, he, he, for the last 14 years of the yeshiva, he was one of the teachers over there. And together with the Natsiv, the Natsiv was the Rosh Yeshiva of Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, was the Rosh Yeshiva, and Reb Chaim was married to the granddaughter of the Natsiv. And together they led the yeshiva in the last years of its operating and functioning. And uh, today, we most of the major yeshivas 
learn in the style of Reb Chaim, followed his methodology. Um, he wrote it down in his famous work, Chidushe Rebbe Chaim Halevi, which is a commentary on the Rambam. And his uh, impact and influence on the Jewish world was absolutely immense. And we very much feel that today in all of the yeshivas um, with the genius and the approach of Reb Chaim. So I want to talk to you about um, an important uh, issue, I think, in our times. And that is that, and uh, particularly with COVID, it's become accentuated. Uh, we see, unfortunately, many people that suffer from low self-esteem, many people that suffer from depression, many people that um, fall into the trap of addictions, of addictions of alcohol and of um, drug abuse and of um, gambling addiction, et cetera, et cetera. We, and we, in particular now with COVID, with the lockdowns, we see that there are many, many lonely and sad people, many people that are suffering terribly um, as a result of these circumstances and as a result of their general state of mind. And perhaps, you know, each person is unique and different and there are many, many details that go into each person's situation and there may be chemical um, reasons for people's state of mind. There may be triggers in their life that have brought out their chemical disposition. So, of course, you know, we're speaking in very general terms and not in particular terms. And each human being is a whole world and has a um, vast and magnificent tapestry that makes up their neshama. So um, what I'm saying is general. That doesn't apply to, you know, necessarily each individual. But perhaps a common thread that can connect many of the of the sad circumstances in individuals' lives in our time, you know, of course we have the terrible loss that COVID has brought, the many, many ill people and the many people that have passed away. It's been a, a tragedy in our community and in South Africa and in the world. But if there, there a certain mindset is essential for a person to function healthily in a psycho, in a psychologically healthy way and to be able to build a stable psychological existence. And that is realizing their worth and their value. The value of each person, the importance of each individual, the uniqueness of every soul. And that's something that we don't emphasize enough and that's something that very often gets missed and gets gets forgotten. And the Torah is full of it. The Torah constantly is telling us of the value of an individual, of how Hashem loves every single human being. And the Torah relates, you know, we it's difficult to relate to God because God is an abstract being. But the Torah um, often refers to our relationship with God in terms that we could relate to, you know, in terms that we could understand. So, for example, the Torah tells us, Banim atem Hashem that you are children to Hashem, that just as a parent loves a child, so God loves you very deeply and very sincerely. Um, in fact, many of our sources tell us that God's love for us, for every single one of us, is greater than the love of a parent for a child. And all normal, healthy individuals that have children have got a, a huge heart of love. They feel tremendous love to their children. 
and real a, a deep and powerful emotional connection to their children. And we see, you know, what, what will a parent not do for their child, a, a normal, healthy parent. Um, and the Torah is telling us that Hashem's love for all of us is more than that, even supersedes that. That's how powerful and deep the love of Hashem is for all of us. We see a, an excellent example of that in, in Sefer Devarim. Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy of Devarim, the, the book where Moses shares his final testament with the Jewish people. It's the last weeks of Moses' life, and he is summarizing what the Jewish people have been through. And Rav Shimshon Rafael says that he's also preparing the people for going into the land of Israel. There are a hundred, around about a hundred mitzvahs mentioned in the Torah that haven't been mentioned before in the Torah. So, and most of them relate to Christ will now becoming a people in the land and functioning in the land of Israel according to our destiny and the promise that God made to Abraham and uh, to our patriarchs. So, within Moses' um, testament to the Jewish people, he is very, very clear on how Hashem loves Klal Yisrael. And he repeats it many, many times. And he, he says Hashem's patience and Hashem's tolerance and Hashem's love for the Jewish people is immense and indescribable. And he says so much so that Hashem, it takes a lot to get Hashem angry, so to speak. It takes a lot to for Hashem to respond to our misbehavior. Hashem has tremendous patience because Hashem has tremendous love. For us, um, the, a beautiful way to understand that is the, there's a famous story about the Tzemach David. The Tzemach David was a great tzaddik, a very, very holy person, a very, very great individual. And he um, had a son who didn't follow in the ways of the Torah, who was not a, who did not um, follow in the observance of the mitzvahs. And obviously, there was a great source of pain and anguish for the Tzemach David and for his wife. And the Tzemach David David every single day that his son should come around and his son should see his greatness and his value and the greatness and value of the Holy Torah. And he um, he was patient and he waited and he, and he continued to pray every day and never gave up hope. And one day after many years, his son actually did return. His son actually did come back to the observance of, of Torah. And he came to his parents' house and he saw his father and his father opened his arms and embraced him very deeply and very powerfully. And he said to his father, aren't you angry with me? Aren't you upset with me all these years that I've strayed? And his father said, every single day I prayed for you and my heart overflows with love for you right now more than ever. And that is how Hashem is with us. Hashem is waiting for us. Hashem is longing for us to come home. Hashem is, is, is keeping the door wide open with the hope that we will all return. What does it mean that we will all return? It means that we realize the truth in the world. We come around and we wake up from our slumber and we see the world for what it is. We see the incredible miracles that are present. And the unbelievable um, gift of life, of human life, and the great privilege to be alive in this world, and the miracles that surround us constantly, each moment of our lives, each second of our lives. And 
we've had a hard time. We've had a pandemic and we've, you know, had a bit of a rough time here in South Africa in particular, both with the pandemic and, and the looting, unfortunately. But it should waken us up and arouse us to realize what a gift every day is and what a gift it is to have our families and to have a source of income and to be able to live life in this magnificent world and to see God's the, the beauty of creation, which God's fingerprints are are clear and are all over the world around us. So God is waiting for us. And, and there's such a beautiful understanding of this from a Pasuk actually in this week's Pasha. Um, this week's Pasha has the second Pasuk of the Shema, the second the second parak of the Shema, second chapter of the Shema. So we, every Jew has an obligation to say the Shema twice a day, right? We're supposed to say the Shema in the morning, in the first three hours of the morning. Sofsman Shema, the end of time for Shema is after three halachic hours in the morning. And, and we're supposed to say Shema also at night when it's dark, half an hour after sunset. And those are Torah commandments that we are supposed to observe every day to say the Shema twice a day. Um, within the second paragraph of the Shema, which is in the, the first paragraph of the Shema was last week's Pasha, second paragraph of the Shema is this week's Pasha, Pasha's Akev. And in that paragraph, we say the words, um, You should be very careful, lest your hearts turn astray, and you go astray. Vavaratem Elohim Acherim, and you serve other gods, Vishtachavisem Lahem, and you bow down to them, Vachara Af Hashem Bachem, and then Hashem's wrath will, will flare up against you. So, I heard a beautiful explanation, and the expression of God's love for us is very clearly seen in this verse, because God, like a good parent, and like a responsible parent, a parent will, of course, set boundaries and set a framework within which their children should behave. But when the children step out of line, so the parents will wait and give them a chance and give them an opportunity to correct themselves and to repair the damage that they've done. And only after the child has moved further and further out of that framework will the parent then um, react. Of course, the parent is going to tell the child in a nice way immediately, and we can't just leave our children because then there will be absolute mayhem and pandemonium. We have to put in structures and discipline with love, but the, the, the parent's um, dramatic response will only be after the child has, uh, has been given a chance to, to rectify. And that's what this Pasuk is telling us. It's telling us it's a three-step process, which is quite unbelievable. It says you should watch yourself, be careful, Lest you stray. So that's the first step. Don't stray from the path. Don't fall away from your connection with Hashem and your um, awareness of God's power and influence and God's creation of each moment of each day and God's involvement in your life. Don't, don't drop the ball and lose that consciousness. Because if you do, that will lead you to serve other gods. In other words, our energy, our life, our focus, our love gets taken up with everything else. And that should, those emotions should be, um, of course, um, channeled towards our family and channeled towards God. But very often we lose sight of that and we stray and we 
serve false gods and we become totally taken up with you know hobbies or with sport or with earning a living or with all these you know these are, are, are means to an end but they're not the end in themselves so when we stray sometimes we actually worship these false gods and then if we don't catch ourselves in the second phase so then we will arrive at the third phase and that is we will actually bow down to these false gods whatever they may be so God waits till that third stage God will, will give us the time and the space God is time is slow to anger God waits for us to come back just like a parent waits for the child to return and only after we've gone so far and strayed so severely off the path that does it say does Hashem's anger flare against you which which materializes and manifests in different ways. So it's a, it's a, a, we see this beautiful theme throughout Sefer Devarim, which I think is so valuable, important, and relevant to who we are and to our lives, that God loves us greatly, and God's got tremendous patience for us. God's waiting for all of us to come home and to return. Listen to Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 Chai FM. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. I'd like to share with you another very powerful uh, message from Moses, from Moshe Rabbeinu, when he is sharing his final words with the Jewish people. And that comes from the beginning of this week's Pasha. Pasuk, the verse at the beginning of Pasha's Ekev, says, V'haya Ekev tishma'un es ha-mishpatim ha-eile u-shmatim v'asisim osam. And the, the, uh, Moses is telling us that this will be the reward when you hearken to these ordinances, when you're listening to these commandments and you ob- observe and perform them, then you will receive great blessings as a result. So what is he referring to? Which ordinances is that referring to? So Rashi tells us, it gives me great joy to share a teaching from Rashi with you because uh, it was it's almost three weeks now, was the 29th of Tammuz, was the Yotzat of Rashi. And we discussed in quite a lot of detail um, Rashi and his tremendous influence on Klai on the Jewish world and what a, what a great genius he was. And we spoke quite a lot about Rashi's uh, commentary on the Torah. His, uh, his absolute um, incredible commentary on the Torah. And he says on the first Pasuk of this week's Pasha, Rashi says, um, The mitzvahs, which means the seemingly lighter mitzvahs that a person tramples on with his heel. If we listen to those mitzvahs, so all of these blessings will will be the consequence of that. Mm. So let's try and understand exactly is it exactly what is it that um, that Rashi means over here. So he means the following. He says that um, he says the following that the let's try and understand. There's a there's a Mishnah in the um, 
in Pirke Avos that says, Rebi Oimer, Habizahir Bemitzvah Kala Kabachamura. One should be careful with a light mitzvah as they, as one is with a severe mitzvah. She'ein ata yodea matan scharan shal mitzvahs because we don't know what the reward of a mitzvah is. So the Mishnah is telling us that one should not be selective when one fulfills God's commandments because we don't know what the importance of the different commandments is. We don't have access to the divine computer. We don't know what the relevance and importance of different mitzvahs are. Therefore, we have to do all of them with equal enthusiasm and focus. Um, Rav Chaim Velozhin, or the Ruach Chaim, so we mentioned Rav Chaim Velozhin, who was the founder of the Velozhin Yeshiva, and Rav Chaim Soloveitchik was um, a teacher in that Yeshiva. Rav Chaim Velozhin says that, um, he says that, this is actually on, on his, his commentary in Ruach Chaim on this mission, the, second, the first mission, the second paragraph of Pirka Avos, so he says that this is telling us that a person needs to have Yerushimayim because Yerushimayim is the source of the reward for the mitzvahs. In other words, if we do every mitzvah, it indicates we have Yerushimayim and the real reward for the mitzvahs is actually the, um, is having Yerushimayim. Yerushimayim means having a sense of awareness of God's power and greatness and the incredible opportunity we have to serve the king, to serve Hashem. And therefore, we fulfill his commandments with enthusiasm. And Ravani Yona says that that's why Chazal, our sages, tell us that Divrei um, Soifrin, or the, the, the teachings of the rabbis, are more chabur, or more strict than Divrei Torah. Why? Because he says that when a person is over deraisa, when a person transgresses a Torah commandment, so they usually do so out of taiva, out of their desire, their physical desire for pleasures in this world. But when a person is over the rabbonim, when a person transgresses a rabbinic commandment, so they do so because they don't have sufficient Yerushimayim. They don't have sufficient um, awe of Hashem and of Hashem's system. And that's why he says that's why the punishment for doing a derabonim is more severe than doing a deraisa or, or transgressing is because the, if you transfer a, a, a derabonus, because there's a lack of Yerushimai. If you transfer, transgress a derisa, it's because of taiva. You'll get punished more for not having Yerushimai than for giving into your taiva. And the Maral says a similar thing. The Maral says that the reward for a mitzvah is not so much the mitzvah itself, but more for the way it's done. And whether when we do that mitzvah, when we follow Hashem's commandment, whether we do so with a enthusiasm and a love and a sense of connection with God and an awareness that this is connecting me to the creator of the universe and this is enabling me to fulfill the will of the creator of the universe. When we have that understanding and when we have that perspective, so that transforms the action tremendously. The moral says, so the, the, the merit, the schar, the reward for a mitzvah is for the approach to the mitzvah. It's not just the action of doing the mitzvah, but it is our attitude and our awareness and our enthusiasm in terms of, of doing that mitzvah. And um, if a person is careful with the lighter mitzvahs, it shows that they're aware of the value of all of the mitzvahs. So maybe then we can understand this Rashi in a different way. So so um, the Torah does tell us, Ivdu es Hashem 
serve Hashem with joy. Right? Even to ask Hashem Simcha, serve Hashem with joy. But it also, so that's why it says serve Hashem with joy. Because the joy represents our awareness of the privilege and the opportunity and the, um, the action that we are doing that we are aware that we are serving the king. And that is the greatest joy that a person could have. So when we have the joy, it indicates that we are aware of the overall perspective of what we are doing. When we don't have joy, it, it's like a burden on us. This is like you know a heavy weight on my shoulders because I'm lacking this awareness of what I'm doing. But it's very interesting. So although we command Ivdu Hashem Simcha, we also command Ivdu Hashem Yira. We have to have a sense of of awareness, of awe of God and of serving God. But they're not contradictory. Often people think that they uh, the opposite ends of the spectrum. But the truth is they're not at all. They really feed into each other. When we have an awareness of God's greatness and God's power and God's kindness, so then that influences our actions to serve God with joy. They really are one in the same thing. So the the serving Hashem with Yira, with awe, leads us to serve Hashem with joy, which is really a beautiful and powerful understanding um, that we're learning over here. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. The last point we're making is that we have a very important obligation to serve Hashem with joy, to serve Hashem with happiness and with enthusiasm. And if we don't have that happiness enthusiasm, it's indicative of our inability to be aware of our lack of awareness of the relevance of the importance of the significance of what we're doing and the privilege of what we're doing. Um, and that's why it's an amazing thing. It says in the Torah, we're going to see a little bit later in Devarim. So we have the Toichacha, um, which are the admonitions. And it says that many terrible things happen to the Jewish people. Because you didn't serve Hashem with joy and with a good heart. When we don't realize the the privilege and the great opportunity we have in serving Hashem, it, it's that's an, it's a litmus test to show that we're really not switched on. We really are self-absorbed and self-involved, and we don't see Hashem in the world and our relationship and responsibility to connect to Hashem in the world. And so, so that's really what Rashi is saying over here. It's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, there's a Gemara in Avorazora that says that at the end of time, there's going to be a big sukkah, and the representatives of the nations of the world will be in that sukkah, as well as representatives of Klal Yisrael. And Hashem's going to make it a very hot day. And it will be so hot that we can't stay in that sukkah. And the representatives of the nations of the world will walk out the sukkah and kick the sukkah, like, you know, frustrated, like, you know, this is uncomfortable and this is unbearable. And the Jewish people will walk out the sukkah and will be upset and saddened by the uh, not having the opportunity to fulfill the commandment of God. And the sukkah represents our interface with the physical world, using the physical world for spirituality. So the the lesson of this Gomorrah is that the, the purpose of life is to understand that we are here in order to serve Hashem. And it's a great opportunity and privilege to serve Hashem. That brings one tremendous meaning and purpose and light and joy. And that connects to what we were saying earlier. We were saying earlier that, you know, we see a lot of sadness and darkness in the world. If we 
are aware of our value, of how much Hashem loves us, and how beautiful this world is that God created, and how we have an important, unique function and role in God's world. So that brings us automatically a sense of purpose and meaning, and of joy and of happiness and fulfillment. So that's really what Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying, Mitzvah's color, Sha'adam Dash Be'akava, that with the Pasha's Akav is saying we get great blessing and reward for Hashem if we even do those mitzvahs that we trample on. So the word Dash, Rabbi Lef explains, it's like in Hilchus Shabbos, Dash means to um, thresh. Threshing means that we remove the fruit from the chaff, from what's around the fruit. So Dash, if a person, the, the mitzvahs that we trample on with our heels represents when we remove the essence of the mitzvah, we do Dash. We remove the the heart of the mitzvah, which is the connection to Hashem, the love of Hashem, the joy of Hashem. So when we are, are, and then we see that as being periphery and insignificant. So once we remove, we've done that, when we remove the the, 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 the soul of the matter, we don't fulfill the, the, the mitzvahs that we think are not so relevant and important. And, uh, and that's, and when we do do that, when we do see the whole picture, and we do see that all the fine details are significant, are vital, are essential. And the joy of even doing the, the smaller fine details, because that represents that we have a relationship, we cherish that relationship, we embrace God in building that relationship. So that, and, and that's what the joy in the midst of enthusiasm is. And that then will bring, that will then enter us, pull us into this whole tremendous system, which has a give and take, which has a action and a reaction. And the direct consequence of that is closed or blooms and functions in a supreme way and fulfills its, purpose, fulfills its purpose in this world. So it's a beautiful understanding what Rashi is saying over here at the beginning of Pasha's AKF. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.